On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about some of the challenges that are being faced across this country because uniquely, because we really haven't seen this in our history, we have different areas of the country not fighting with the country, not fighting for separation of the country, sniping with each other. Well, how do you govern that? How do you run a country when different parts of the country are teeing off on each other? We'll talk with Stephen LeDrew about that. And we're also going to be chatting with Bill Briou about television because here's the thing. There is so much good television on right now, good shows, good series, but almost all of them are on streaming services. What has happened to network television that it seems that now the only thing on there is reality shows and game shows and a few other things like that? Where is the great television on network TV? Well, it's not there. Again, it's all on streaming. We'll explain why. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. It's been a really interesting time since the election. I'm, I'm assuming you've been keeping up with some of the stuff and assuming that even though the election is over, that you have not shut your ears completely to national news or what has been happening from coast to coast in this country. And what we've been seeing, if you've been watching, is a bit of a squabble going on between East and West right now. On the one hand, you have Quebec saying some things about Alberta often about pipelines or oil or whatever else. And then you've, then you've got Alberta fighting back, making a, a comment back. And then you've got Quebec fighting back to that. And then you've got Alberta shooting back at that one. Everyone's mad at everyone. Everyone's taking pot shots at everyone. It's not exactly building a great sense of national unity. We're all sniping at each other. Well, not all of us, but the people in Alberta and Quebec and maybe some Saskatchewanians, Saskatchewaners. I'm not sure how you say their name. We'll look that one up. Uh, anyway, back and forth. Then all of a sudden, Quebec runs into a propane problem. They don't have enough propane. Things are about to go dire because nursing homes and stuff are going to freeze. And look at that. Alberta sends a train car out to help them filled with like 12 million liters of propane. I can't tell if we love each other or hate each other, if this is a family squabble or something bigger. Let me bring in Stephen LeDrew. We love having him on here. He's the National Post contributor. He's a former president of the Liberal Party. Stephen, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. Always good to chat with you, Scott. So when we see Alberta and Quebec sniping at each other over and over and over again, um, is this just like a family around the Thanksgiving table sniping each other, or is this more serious than that? Well, you know what? I've never been a fan of sniping around the Thanksgiving table, and when it happens, you usually head for cover. I think that I think we have some serious issues in Canada, and you put your finger, Scott, on one of them with the, you know between Alberta and wanting to have a pipeline across Canada and Quebec. And for the life of me, I've asked many Quebecers. I said, like, what do you guys have against pipelines? You know, you use oil and gas, propane, as you were just mentioning. And they, you know, they say, well, we just don't want it. We don't want Alberta. And I said, that's just not, that's not nation building. And, um, and part of this, though, is also exacerbated by the Liberal government and Mr. Trudeau. And it's a bad situation. And I hope that um, there are some cooler heads prevailing in Ottawa to try to get some solutions to this. I did, uh, you mentioned the National Post, I did... Um, uh, a video today for the National Post, and I just said that, you know, we need to have nation building, and part of it would be lovely to have a national pipeline going across the country, because the carbon tax that people are talking about, we're, and we're going to end up having one, Scott, but it's, um, 
the the problem is the timing. And Ottawa has been saying, well, we don't want to do it right away and get rid of fossil fuels. We can't do that. We are a resource country. Let's admit it. We are a resource country. And yes, maybe in 40 or 50 years we'll get rid of fossil fuels. But you can't get rid of all these jobs, all these people, and put them on pokey just for some sort of uh, theoretical benefit. Well, what seems to me unique about this, to me anyway, is that in the past we have had regions or provinces that were fighting with the country, but those were always seemingly individual, as I say, like Quebec looking for their independence or whatever, but it was one province fighting with not other provinces, but with the larger country of Canada. Now you have provinces and regions fighting with each other. It's, it complicates things massively, I would think, for not only themselves, but for the federal government on how do you deal with this? Well, there's no question about that, but it's, um, and that is, as you, as you rightly point out, it is a new feature, if you will, of, um, of, our, of our nation. And, and you look at other, most other nations, like the United States, they're Americans first. And you can be from Rhode Island, you can be from California, but you're an American first. And you can have issues, but it always gets resolved because you are American first. In Canada, recently, it's because people are saying, well, you know, we're Westerners first. And that's because we have had a federal government which is tone deaf to the concerns of the regions. They haven't been tone deaf to Quebec. And you'll recall the last election, some people try to bring up that piece of legislation where you can't wear burqas and you can't wear a cross and stuff like that. And all the federal leaders just shied away from it. No one wants to cheese off Quebec. Because Quebec has shown in the past, I think this is the reason, because Quebec in the past has shown that when they make rumblings about going their own way, there is some seriousness taken. I mean, they came so close back when Jean Chrétien was prime minister. I can't remember what the year was for the referendum now. They were so close to leaving that I think any leader is going to be very careful about doing something that may spark that fire again. Yes, that's one point. The other thing is that they have, well, they used to have 75 seats. I think they, they still have 75, if not a few more. That's a lot of seats. Alberta doesn't have that. And so it's just comes down to the numbers and how you're going to form a government. And that's just an anomaly of what's going on in our situation now and the way the government is, um, is, is forming and it's a problem. There's no question about it. But as I said, it's the main problem is not confederation. The main problem is not the number of seats. The main problem is that we have had a government the last four years which is just so tone deaf and so full of itself that they have ignored the problems of the resource-producing country uh, provinces, Alberta being the main one. And there are so many people out of work. When you have office buildings in Calgary that are half-empty, that they were full five years ago, then there's a big issue. When you have in Fort McMurray, all kinds of people off, uh, you know, working and, uh, sorry, not working and uh, on unemployment, that's a huge issue. It is a massive and, um, issue, yeah. Let me take a break, and Jason got a, And Jason Kenny got elected as a result of the fact that the federal government and that provincial government was tone deaf. I wonder what would have happened years and years and years ago, if the government of the day had these challenges to deal with when they set about trying to build the nation-to-nation, coast-to-coast national railroad. No, you can't drive the railroad through our province. We don't want the railroad. Take it up through the Yukon, wherever. I mean, I like to think that once upon a time, we were more eager for things, as you described, that would have made our country one and brought us all together. Well, I mean, finally, that happened. And and you're you're quite right about picking, uh, picking up on the railroads, because there was some opposition to it. And yet, 
we had national leaders with a national vision who were able to overcome that. And now we have, and I, I don't want to focus at all on Trudeau, but on one hand he is saying, oh, you environmentalists, I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're my team, and we are going to get rid of fossil fuel. On the other hand, he has people, mainly Canadians, who are saying we, we rely on that, and we need it. And I, I, I hear the world arguments, and you hear them, Scott, your listeners hear them, but you can't just sort of cut off your nose to try to deal with that. I mean, we are a relatively small country as far as polluters go, compared to China, compared to uh, India, and, um, and there's no reason why we should be cutting off jobs just for some sort of fantasy of fulfilling Paris your tar- targets. Well, and thank, good, thank, good, thank goodness they did build the railroad once upon a time. Otherwise, there'd be no way to get oil across the country right now, because now that's what we're using it for. So, And uh, Quebec would not have its propane. That's right. And literally, they'd be freezing in the dark. It, you know, and I go back to my point about, you know, you don't want to tick off Quebec, because they have shown they can be very serious about separation, and I don't know that one per- I don't know if, if challenging Bill 21 in court would set off a real separatist movement, or if putting a pipeline through Quebec would set off a real separatist movement. But the flip side is, you know, for all of its bluster right now, Alberta has never shown a serious move towards that. So for any government, it's a lot easier to pay more attention and whisper more sweet nothings into Quebec's ear to keep them happy. You know, you're absolutely right. And, and Albertans, I, I've spoken to some people who have a, are starting a separatist movement, and they are sick and tired, yes. They want, they need some, they want some attention. They deserve some attention. They need some attention from the federal government. They need some relief. Uh, the equalization payments, uh, that they were paying out and they're not getting back in the time of need is a really serious problem. And the federal government, you know, I mean, they just have been dragging their heels on the pipelines. And so they still, notwithstanding that, they're still Canadian first. As I, I was speaking to a separatist, that's interesting. I just caught myself saying a separatist from Alberta. But there are some separatists in Alberta. And they've told me, listen, if we just could get going again, then this will all disappear. I used to be a member, a partner in a big law firm, Scott. And when everybody had a good year, you can get 60 lawyers sitting around the table, all partners, and everybody is happy. <laughs> I mean, you may quibble over little things, but when you have money in your pocket, you're happy. And then... If you have a few lean years, you are grumping and spitting at each other. And you know it's yeah. terrible, but that's just the way it is right now. I mean, Quebec is having a great, wonderful economic time, and good for them. And Alberta and other provinces. I mean, Newfoundland is having a big problem because so many Newfies would go to Alberta and work for four, five weeks and fly back. Those jobs are gone now. It's a pan-Canadian problem, and I just hope that this government is finally getting the idea. It's interesting, Scott, because you and I are students of politics, is that I still think a lot of people did not want to have Trudeau back as prime minister, but the conservative campaign was just so bad, there was really no alternative. A lot of people want to have a different government. Well, let me ask but, about that then, because Andrew yeah. Scheer right now is right in the spotlight. There's all kinds of questions about whether yeah. he can survive, whether he can be the leader. So you've got this situation between the two solitudes, between the East and the West. Yeah. Does Andrew Scheer, to enhance his position, come out guns blazing as the battler for the West and take on the rest of the country and show he won't take any crap from anyone? Or does he 
play the statesmanlike role and maybe not show as much fire for Alberta and Saskatchewan and lose some support there, but look like the guy who can smooth things over with Quebec in the 905? Well, I think that, um, I, unfortunately, because he's a, he's a very decent man and he's a very good person, I don't think Sky's going to have that chance. I what mean, what I would the better strategy be there? If he was going to try and do it, what would be the better strategy be for him? Well, it's, it's right between what you just said. <laughs> I mean, he's, somebody's got to come up in the national scene and fight for Alberta and Saskatchewan, and yet you don't want to fight from a separatist point of view. You've got to fight as a Canadian. You've got to fight as a responsible member of the federal government and say, you know, we need to change our policies. We need to change our outlook. We need to change the timing of this because people are suffering. And that's what has to happen. So it's not coming out with guns blazing. On the other hand, it's not just lying down and taking it either. It's right in between. You've got to make a deal. And uh, we've had some great prime ministers who were deal makers, starting off going back to what you were saying, Sir John A. Macdonald. He made deals. That's what politics is all about putting a little water in your wine and making a deal. And we don't have deal makers. We have people who are strutting around. Uh, I mean, the former minister of the environment would strut around and talk about putting people out of jobs. That's insane. I'm glad she's gone. It's, I hope uh... she can... Yeah, no, I, I got to infrastructure. I, I got to jump in. Unfortunately, I wish we could keep going, but it's 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 it's. I don't think it's going away. I think we're going to have this discussion be going on for a long, long time. Well, unfortunately, and, and Scott, and Scott, that's un- I think you're right, and that's unfortunate. It's very unfortunate because we should get this thing resolved. We should have some some very wise heads in Ottawa saying, "Okay, let's just get this resolved." It'll be interesting to see what happens with Ford's meeting, I think it's on December 2nd, isn't it, when he has the Premier's into Toronto? Yep, yep, that'll be the... And, uh, yep, got to run, but that, that, absolutely, okay. we'll, and we'll be talking to you then, I'm sure. We'll hope to have I you back with us. Stephen LeDrew, you can always see him on the National Post, on the website, everything else. Stephen, thanks for doing this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, yesterday, uh, at this time of the night, I was talking a little bit about the... CBC and its entertainment offerings and things like that and um, what it should or shouldn't be doing. We're not going to talk about them again. We are going to talk about TV again because I went home last night, as I said I was going to do when we were talking on the show. Went home last night and went on Netflix and started watching a little bit of The Irishman, the new Robert De Niro. It's a Martin Scorsese long movie, three and a half hours long. Didn't get through the whole thing last night. Robert De Niro, um, Al Pacino, uh, uh, what's his name, Joe Pesci. Very interesting, very well done, very good movie. But it's been something as I was going through Netflix and I was going to find it, one of the things that I noticed, and I want to bring in Bill, uh, Bill Briou, who uh, is a writer on TV, has Briou TV is where you will find his stuff. Bill, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. I was going through, as I'm just figuring this, finishing this thought, I'm going through Netflix yesterday and I'm looking for The Irishman and it's a great movie so far. But it seems to me over the last little while that there are a lot fewer big movies, big blockbusters, or even just big movies landing on Netflix and some of these other streaming services. Am I imagining, or is that the case? Well, do you mean big studio movies from other studios? Yeah, or? yeah. That, like, oh, that you would yeah, have seen in a theater a few months ago, and all of a sudden, oh, there it is on Netflix. doesn't seem to be happening as much. You're absolutely right, Scott. And, and, and the reason for that is that all the studios have created their own streaming services. So they're um, keeping them for themselves and not sharing them with Netflix anymore. So you've got Disney 
which is the biggest movie studio right now. They own all the Marvel films and Star Wars and all that stuff. Uh, they've had nothing but blockbusters at the theaters this year, and they're not going to put them on Netflix because they're going to put them on Disney+. Plus. And same with, um, you know, we've got Universal is launching a streaming service. We've got, uh, uh, you know, Warner Brothers has a biggie that's coming next spring. It's sort of, a, I think it's called HBO+. Plus. And, um, Apple. So, Apple, of course. So, yeah, just like their TV shows, like Warner's owns, uh, you know, some of the biggest comedies of the last 25 years. So the Big Bang Theory is a Warner Brothers show, and so is Friends. And, you you know, they've yanked them away from Netflix or are, are doing so now. So you'll only be able to see them on their own streaming services. It, I mean, the funny part about this, as it strikes me, is I'm. I mean, we'll get to the TV shows in a minute, but there was a time when the thought was, you know what, I'm going to cut the cord because all this stuff is now available by streaming, and it's going to be way, way, way cheaper just to have to get Netflix. And now, if I want to watch all these things that I at one time would have been able to watch, it's going to cost me more than if I just kept my cable. It sure could, yeah. Like, if you now say you spend 80, 80 or $90 on your cable bill, and that's probably an average for many households um, if you want at least something extra. Uh, then, yeah, you're quickly going to be there. If Netflix right now is $14 in Canada, uh, you know, Disney is, is a bit cheaper. It's under 10 bucks uh, For now. Yeah, for now, exactly. A year from now, it could be 15 or whatever. Uh, so, you know, if you get four or five of these, say, you're at the same price point. And you're also looking at five different menus and hopping around a lot. You know, so I don't think many people will do that. I think you'll decide, do I want Netflix or Disney? If I'm going to get one of these streaming or two of these streaming max, which one or two will I get? And maybe I'll cut my cable package down to a more basic level. And I want to give credit where credit is due to the folks who run these things. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm in awe of the ways that they have now figured out to try and separate me from more of my money. Because just the other day, okay, so I had to make a choice of how many, with Netflix alone, how many TVs or devices can I have on there? I can pay more if I want to have more than I think it is two or three. But then now I got a a note that popped up on my screen saying, hey, if you would like Ultra HD, it's just another $3 a month to have it really crystal clear as opposed to just sort of watchable. It's like, how many more things are they going to come up with to try and squeeze more dollars out of me? So pretty soon Netflix isn't 14 a month, but like 30 a month. Yeah, well, that's it all a la carte kind of packaging, and you're right. If you're the person who has to have the latest and the greatest, sure, if you want to pay for it. Uh, and that's really, you know, and people thought, well, you know, poor Rogers, poor Bell, uh, these folks, there's, people are cutting the cord, and it's going to, well, no, you're still going to be uh, using the Internet services to stream a lot of these things, and really it's the same providers. So, you know, it all kind of is just out of one pocket and into another. Would you agree that... Not that long ago, and maybe still today, almost by default, most people have Netflix still, that that's the default streaming service? Oh, yeah. No, they've they've had a seven-year head start. And so at that time, a lot of us who signed up for eight bucks or whatever it is way back six years ago, and we're now paying 14, we don't even blink. Uh, It doesn't seem that much, right? It's harder to unsubscribe, (laughs) I think, once you're used to something. And I think that's what Netflix's big advantage is. So they're still in uh, 7 or 8 million households in Canada. Um, 80% of the people who have cable, I think I read, 
in Canada also have Netflix now, 70 or 80%. But could you ever see a day when that's not, when they're not the default streaming service? Because as you said right off the top, they don't have all the big movies anymore. Could could you see a time when people really do say, you know what, I'm going to do what Bill just said. I'm going to have to choose which one, and it might not be Netflix. Well, it, it, here's what'll stop things: is when Netflix stops overspending. You know, they they they're deficit financing their whole business right now. They're taking in, you know, um, I think they're in 130 million homes worldwide. So that's let's say it's just ten dollars a month. So 130 million dollars per month, and so they've got a billion billions of dollars a year that they're taking in. But they're spending four or five billion a year, and they're making. It, because of all these new Disney and Warner's and uh, Apple and CBS All Access, because they're all coming online uh, with some big budget uh, offerings, Netflix has been putting in Eddie Murphy movies, and uh, you know they've they've got. If you look at what Netflix has to offer right now, new season of The Crown, uh, you know a lot of big names and a lot of productions. Meryl Streep is in a movie right now that's new on Netflix. So their originals are really what will hook people. It's no longer that they also have Friends or The Office or things like that. It's their originals are they just coming at you fast and furious, documentaries, uh, comedy specials, lots of them all the time. So that's kind of why I subscribe. Not all just Adam Sandler movies. (laughs) (laughs) No. Really bad Adam Sandler movies. (laughs) Yeah, well, what happened to that right. guy? He was hilarious for a while, and then now it's, oh man, an Adam Sandler movie. It's been a long time since the Hanukkah song, uh, <laughs> you know. Or, but, or uh, yeah, or The Wedding Singer was great, or, you know, like there were a few that he made that were great, and then you, now he comes on to Netflix and it's like, oh man, they gave him money to make that? What was the one where Bob Barker punches him out on the golf course? Happy, Happy Gilmore. Sandler. Happy, Happy Gilmore. Gilmore. Yep. 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 That was a great that one. That was pretty darn good. So, yeah. No, they're, they're in business with everybody, of course. They're Martin Scorsese, you know, as you mentioned. Uh, so they have uh, the, the people who have partnered up with Netflix are staggering, although we're hearing, of course, CBC wants out of business with them lately. So it's, a, it's an odd world. Nobody's got it completely figured out. Well, and you mentioned The Crown. I, I talked about The Irishman off the top. I mean, here, here's the thing about it. While the movies may not be there, I don't think there's any argument, Bill, that when you watch the stuff that is being produced by these streaming services, whether it's Amazon or whether it's Netflix or whether it's Crave, or not well, Crave, not so much. They don't really have their own stuff. But the stuff on those services seems right now to be at such a higher quality than so much of the stuff that's on network television. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and The Crown is a great example. This season, the third season, it's Olivia Coleman. It's all in the 60s. And the portrayal of the royal family, everybody loves it except the royal family, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, but if you look at what Apple and uh, especially Disney has, this Mandalorian, is uh, if folks have seen that, if you love the original Star uh, uh, Wars movie in 1977, you're going to love this series. It's, it goes back to those days. It's got sort of the more rusted-out spacecrafts that look like you know, World War II aircrafts that can go warp speed. They've got cool heroes. They've got great droids. They've even got you know, baby Wookiees and, and uh, Yodas. <laughs> uh, they figured it out. It's Wookiees. very entertaining. It's by the guy who makes a lot of those, uh, Favreau, you know, who makes the, um, the Marvel movies. And um, I have to tell you, I went in with low expectations and was really impressed with, with that one. So, and they're throwing 15 of these at you at once, so you're going to like three of them. 
and, and that's generally probably going to be enough for somebody to give it a try for a month. I would love to work for Netflix, honestly, if only in Britain, to go and look and tap into the Royals account and see if they've watched The Crown. <laughs> just to see if Prince Charles has tuned in, just to see what it's all about. Uh, I, I bet you the kids have watched, but I don't know if the Queen has. Uh, well, the, 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 she had her people. comes off better than she does in this series. It's interesting. This, this though, I wondered, at some point, do the networks do anything to fight back, or is it just not possible for them to fight back because of the money that's being spent on this stuff? I think they're, they're just laying low for, for right now because the onslaught with the launch of these services, it's impossible to keep up. So what you're seeing instead of trying to make a, a, a big miniseries or movie, you're seeing Ellen DeGeneres give away a whole bunch of prizes or, you know, um, uh, new versions of The Voice. or uh, they're, they're sort of doing the re- cheaper reality route to grab viewers. Um, they're just cutting back. Everything is either that or... Uh, a remake of uh, NCIS right now. <laughs> they're really it's true. I'm not, you know, no. they're not trying NCIS to innovate. Idaho. Because, yeah, exactly. All the innovators have been are being paid three hundred million dollars now to make stuff for Netflix. So the networks don't have. Well, you said that monopoly on talent. They sure don't have it anymore. But is there? Do we really have that kind of insatiable appetite for endless reality television, no matter what it is? I mean, I suppose to some degree somebody's going to watch everything, but do we really want to watch more reality television? Uh, no, I think you're right. Um, if you look at the last that had any kind of a buzz, the Masked Singer, uh, you know, it's they're more curiosities now. They don't really seem sustainable. Um, you know, you can promote something like that once. But I think you don't want to really be watching the 30th edition of The Masked Singer, um, you know, like, like people have with Survivor and, and uh, Amazing Race. It's, it's going to wear out faster. It's just, I guess, it's cheaper to produce. And um, the service that fascinates me is Hallmark. You know, they're making, uh, they're shooting 80 or 90 uh, movies in Canada now because it's cheaper to shoot here. Uh, and um, there's a huge audience for it. There's as many people watching one of these Hallmark movies as there are like a a big, um, you know, NBC or CBS uh, police procedural. They're, they've really caught fire. So that seems to be where broadcast is at. It's sort of programming to people who don't have these other services. Well, Bill, that's just because they take the one same script and just change the name of the town and the name of the characters and make the same movie with every Hallmark Christmas movie. It's the exact same movie every time. Yes, it's generally, uh, there's a poor lady who's just been jilted and she runs a lovely craft shop and a lumberman, the lumberjack comes in and there's so much snow he has to stay over and sleep with her in the store. And that's uh, pretty much pretty everyone. Much, yep, right. You pretty much nailed it right there. So you could go work for Hallmark. If this whole media thing doesn't work out, you could be a Hallmark oh. Christmas movie writer. Trust me, this media thing ain't working out. So yeah, <laughs> well, keep that keep that that little tidbit in there with the lumberjack in the snowstorm. I think that would I think that would fit in it perfectly with their demographic. Uh, I'm going to sit down and type it up now. Well, now why does why does though you mentioned about some of these things? Why does Survivor? Why does Amazing Race? There are a few of these things that still really work though and still really draw an audience. Why? Yeah, it's fascinating. Survivor started in the year uh, 2000. You know, so next year will be 20 years in the 40th edition, twice a year they air. It's number three or four in Canada right now, right now in 2019. That's, that show has the 
longest legs I've ever seen of anything in TV, and it it just never wears out. I think because it's a new cast every six months, they keep um, they stick to a formula that works. Uh, they know who their fans are, and they and they they bring uh, Boston Rob back just often enough to keep those fans happy. Uh, they just know what they're doing. It's it's always been a well-made show. I, I think that's why it's still so popular. I'm predicting that one of these days, though, they're going to jump the shark. It's going to be when they do the 90-day fiancé cast on Survivor. <laughs> that people finally say, okay, or the Kardashians. That, that's it. We, just, we can't do it anymore. There's, um, that's not even a joke. Uh, you're, you're so right. It's frightening. And a lot of people are watching those 90-day fiancé things. And uh, But, again, I, it's, it's all about the casting. And um, I guess as long as they find fascinating people, um, people will keep watching. i got only a minute or two left here. But the thing is, and you wrote about this the other day, even the shows, though, that on network television that people claim to really like, or at least that there seems to be an audience for, and you pointed to Anne with an E, the CBC show, that we hear that there's this massive groundswell of people who love this. It doesn't attract an, a, a, a huge audience, at least, that you can register. Maybe online, maybe streaming, but on network television, it doesn't draw huge numbers. No, it doesn't. Uh, you know, I wrote, your, thanks for mentioning that, but 400,000 viewers watch that show uh, every week in Canada on CBC, uh, just the same as they watched it in season two last year. And, um, you know, it gets awards, and it's a well-made show, but um, the audiences are shrinking in, in network TV, and CBC in particular has had a tough year. Uh, the Great Canadian Baking Show is down about 25% in, in, in ratings. And, uh, you know, either the shows that have been on there for many, many years are just taking a hit. And um, part of their schedule is very, very old, you know. And, and so it's, they're in a tough spot. But all of broadcast TV, all of the Canadian networks are, um, you know, there's just so much streaming competition right now. People have so many options. And they don't have time to watch 22 episodes of anything anymore. But they can binge six, and that's the formula that's working for the streaming services. That's why they shouldn't have done the Great Canadian Souffle show, because it was bound to... Uh, see, there's a really, really bad, lame attempt at a pun as we send you off in your way. Uh, Bill Briou, you can read his stuff at TV, uh, TV. You can find it online. Always appreciate the time today, Bill, or the time, Bill. Thanks for doing this today. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. It's, uh, look, it's a huge challenge, because those... If you watch... Again, I was watching some of part of the Irishman, and, and I would encourage you to watch it. It's very interesting, very well done. Although I, I should have asked Bill, would we ever have known who Robert De Niro was if there was no such thing as a mob movie? Like, he's he's really good in this, but it's Robert De Niro as we've seen him in 37 movies where he's the mob guy who scowls and does the Robert De Niro face and looks, I, and you know what, he's great at it. But what if there'd never been a mob? Could you, I mean... If we'd only ever had musical theater on film, like in the old days, would we have ever known about Robert De Niro? He's a triple threat. He's a singer, he's a dancer, he's an actor. No, I don't think so. Anyway, uh, but the networks that are trying to compete with this stuff today, man, it's tough because there was a ton, a ton of money spent on this. Ton of money spent on this for a movie that, yeah, it was in theaters briefly. The only reason, though, it was even in theaters, if you'll recall, is because the Academy, for the Academy Awards, put rules in 
that said Netflix is not eligible. You can't just put a movie that's going right to, onto TV into the Academy Awards. So now if they've got a big movie they think is great, they've got to put it into the minimal number of theaters for a minimal number of days just so they're eligible for Academy Awards. That's the only reason it didn't go straight to Netflix. And yet they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on these things. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.